0: 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin by reading a couple of verses that for many of you will be very familiar. Let's stand if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read the last two verses of chapter 3. Paul is writing to Timothy, this is his last epistle, and it's one of the richest epistles to me in the Bible, just reminding Timothy of The role that the Scripture has had in his life. Verse 15, he talks about that. From a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then our text verse, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. As a part of our uh, annual theme, I'll say this for the benefit of our guests, our theme for this year is stand. And uh, it's, it's a good reminder. And there's many uh, admonitions in the Bible about that. But as a part of our theme, we're just covering some basic Bible doctrines on Sunday nights. Bibliology, the doctrine of the Scripture. Last week we talked about the authority of the Word of God. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about inspiration. We find the word in our text, verse sixteen: All Scripture is given by inspiration. We're going to talk about what their inspiration means. You might underline it if you're a habit of underlining things in your Bible, because this is a Bible doctrine. We'll talk about it. Tonight we ought to we ought to believe about the Bible like the Bible instructs us to believe about it. How God instructs us to believe about it. So um, we're going to study that doctrine, the doctrine of inspiration, tonight because that is at the heart of many questions about the Bible. Where do we get our Bible? Where did it come from? I, within the last two weeks, I've talked to a man who said, in essence, well, you know, that's the, men wrote the Bible. You know, well, God used men to pen the words, but they're not the words of men; they're the words of God. If these words actually, if these words actually came from God, then how did He communicate them to mortals? You know, and it's through this matter, process, method of inspiration, and people try to. Um, I think. I think sometimes in innocence, sometimes just in ignorance, and sometimes in just as scorners, they want to cast doubt on the reliability of the Scripture because, you know, you're relying upon men. But our our reliance is not on the integrity of men. It's on the providence and the promises of God. So we'll look at that tonight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for your Word. And Father, we pray that you'd help us tonight to have... Minds and hearts that are attentive. And Father, we're reminded of the words of Peter when he wrote to that great epistle and said, I'm going to put these things in your remembrance. I'm going to remember, I'm going to remind you of things that you already know, things wherein you stand, things that I want you to remember after my decease. So, Lord, help us to get what you have for us and not only hear it. But to remember it, we pray. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So inspiration is a Bible doctrine. And there's several things. We're going to begin in this passage, and then we're going to look in a number of other verses. If you're in the habit of taking notes, some of these you'll want to write down. But... um What does it mean when it says in verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Uh, The word inspiration, it comes from a compound Greek word, and the word inspiration simply means that God breathed it. God, all Scripture came from God. It's God breathed. The contents of the Scripture literally originated with God. Now, if you don't believe that, you're going to have to you believe that they came from some other source, some other some other power. They came from men. We'll talk about this a little bit tonight. Not much, but some. There's some false views about inspiration, but we'll mention them. But the word means that they came from God. So we see the doctrine of inspiration here in verse 16. We also see not only does God say the Scriptures, but He specifically says all Scripture. That's the totality of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know, it's not, it's not uncommon to find people who believe that the Bible contains the Word of God, but it's not all the Word of God. But the Bible says that all, A-double-L, all, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then, of course, it talks about the benefits Of Scripture. It's good, profitable, it's worthwhile, profitable for what? In verse 16, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture is given for these various reasons. It'll do this for you. By the way, it says in verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. In our culture, we would think the man of God. Is talking about the preacher. And by the way, Timothy was a pastor. He was a preacher. But the word there translated as man is anthropos. It's a word that's used not just for males. There is a Greek word that's used for males. But this is a word that's used for human beings, for humans. So... It's given the, the, that the people of God, the men and women of God, the people who know God, that they may be perfect, truly furnished. That means completely, thoroughly equipped by the Word of God. Amen? Inspiration is a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. It does, it's not about how well we understand it. It's not even about how well we can explain it. It's about God's promise. This is a promise of God. That that the scripture is inspired. It's given by inspiration. Not very long ago I had a discussion with a person who once held the same position that we hold about the scripture but has been converted to a position where he doesn't really think it matters what Bible you use. They're all basically the same. It was a civil discussion, but I said to him, I said, inspiration, I quoted this verse, I said, inspiration is a matter of faith. And he thought I meant, well, we just have to take it by faith because we don't really know, so by faith we we accept that. And I said, no, it's, it's not just faith because I want to believe it, it's faith in what God says. God says. God says. It's given by inspiration. It's inspired of God and therefore we believe it because God says it it's a faith matter and then he said this he said a lot of things about the scripture one thing he says but, but he says I understand or I've heard that King James was an immoral man and don't he said don't you think that that would be an, an Maybe untrustworthy, not trustworthy to have an immoral man oversee the Bible translation. And I said, my trust is not in King James. My trust is in what God said. What God said. And by the way, I said to him, and I'd say it to you. If if, if a man was an immoral man, and God said he was going to... By the way, he thought King James actually did the translation work. But (laughs) we'll talk about that on a different lesson. But the point is... It's about, it's about what God says. Next week we may talk about preservation, which is an important... God not only promised to, the inspiration of Scripture, but He promised to preserve His Word. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so, so, what does this matter of inspiration mean and how far does it expand? Inspiration means that Scriptures came through God's influence upon the writers. God's influence. He gave us His truth. And when you read the Scripture, these writers, these Old Testament and New Testament, they wrote about things that they couldn't even know. They wrote about things that were going to happen in the future. They wrote about things sometimes that they had not seen. And sometimes they wrote about things that they had seen. But our trust in their ability to transmit what they had seen is not in their ability, but it's in God who said he would oversee and give us the word of God. And, uh, and according to the Bible, according to the Bible, they didn't write their words, they wrote the words that God gave them. Now, if you believe the Bible, you have to believe that. That's inspiration. Now, I'm going to look up a number of verses tonight. But the Bible teaches this. This, And for some of you, you've heard this and studied this and known this. Some of you, maybe this will be the first time you've thought about this. But it's, in either case, it's still worth our while. <laughs> Amen. The Bible teaches that God is its author. That's what the Bible teaches. That's not my opinion. It's what God, that's what the Bible teaches, that God is the author of this book. Amen. It's a bestseller too. We're going to be in Psalms for just a moment. We're going to go all over the place tonight several times. But in Psalm 68, I just want to give you some verses that bear witness to what we're saying. The Bible teaches that God is the author. Psalm 68 in verse 11 says, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Where did the Word come from? It came from God. And God used people to publish it, but the Word came from God. It's God's Word. Go to Galatians. Go to the New Testament for a moment. Galatians chapter 1. And Paul is writing, of course, in chapter 1 and verse 11. Paul says, by the way, we'll see this in a moment, But the writers of the Scripture knew that they were writing the Scripture. In other words, it wasn't news to them. It wasn't a surprise to them. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man neither was I taught or neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ he said the things I'm giving you God gave me God gave me that's inspiration i go a little further to the right if you would please to second peter in that great passage in chapter 1 a description of this Matter of inspiration. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Peter says, Peter being one of the first apostles, knowing that this first, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy, talking about the prophecy of the Scripture came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They spake as they were moved by... That that word moved describes God's influence on the writers of the text, the writers of the Scripture. There's human penmanship and divine authorship. Divine authorship... Human penmanship. Now, when someone's talking, if you're someone talking about inspiration, they may use a couple of other words in describing inspiration. Sometimes they'll say the verbal inspiration. What does that mean? Verbal inspiration. The word verbal means words. Inspiration wasn't just thoughts or ideas or concepts. Inspiration was words. Word for word. The words of the Bible. Our God breathe. What a miracle. What an amazing thing. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, a couple of verses here that talk about the purity of the words. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure, He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 6. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Don't add into his words verbal inspiration. The words are the words of God. The very words of God are given by inspiration, not just the ideas. I go to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, Jesus in this passage gives such a great description of um, how, you know, of how particular this matter of inspiration is. I'm hesitating because Mark 5 doesn't say what I'm looking for. Let's see. It's inspired, but it's not the one I'm looking for. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. The law of God. Primarily, you think about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. The the Old Testament prophets, the words of the prophets. He's not going to destroy the prophets themselves. These prophets have gone long before. Jesus is saying, he's talking about the words of the prophets. Don't think that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, in verse 18, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And then he talks about the commandments in verse 19. Where, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the, I want to just mention this, these two words in verse 18, jot and tittle. Um, This is what Jesus is saying, and I believe he's talking about verbal inspiration. How God gave the words, and those words are going to remain. A jot, do we even use the word jot? Now, I don't know that I've used it in several weeks. Uh, the, (laughs) The word jot is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And tittle is like a little mark. I would, I would describe it as like an accent mark. You know, when you're, when you're in, your, in English, you'll put a little hyphen or an accent. And they use those in the Hebrew language. But Jesus said there's not going to be one jot or one tittle that will pass. In other words, God's going to keep it. God's going to protect it. And they all came from God. We're talking about Inspiration god 's inspiration, verbal inspiration, the words of the bible there's another word sometimes used in speaking of inspiration, not the verbal inspiration, but the plenary verbal inspiration and plenary has to do with the it means full or complete, in other words, every not just every jot and t- not just the jots and the tittles but every word that 's why Paul was very clear in 2 Timothy. To say all Scripture, every bit of it, it's it's not just part of it, it's everything. When God speaks about, about scientific matters, it's all inspired of God. When God speaks about historical matters, and He does, it's all given by inspiration of God. When God speaks about matters of salvation and spiritual growth, it's all given by inspiration of God. You can trust every bit of it, because it's all given. The Word of God came from God. As a matter of fact, go with me if you would to Psalm 119, and we'll look up a couple verses there. Psalm 119. And while you're turning, I just want to say this um, for all of our benefit. You know, this may be the first time you've ever heard anybody talk about where the Bible came from. How we got our Bible. And is it important? Sure it's important. Hey, what is more important than the bible and what's more important than knowing that the bible that we use is true to the way god gave it what is more and that's one of the things we're talking about in this series of lessons is how we got our bible and how we know that it's the word of god i remember um, many many years ago before we were an in independent baptist church when i was uh, had just really become the pastor here and i i we were actually doing some survey work in Iowa, uh, just missionary type survey work. And and a guy ran across some of our material. And, and then by the way, that survey work eventually resulted in Brother Marvin Smith going up there to Fort Dodge, where he is now. But someone's, someone sent me a letter and said, which Bible is the Word of God? Now for... for Many people, that would be a strange question to ask. And for me, it made me think about the importance of the Bible issue, the Bible translation issue. And I'm just saying, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I've got a Bible, I mean, what more do I need? You just need to make sure, number one, you you need to really make sure you have the right Bible and that you understand how important this book is. Job said it's more than my, I esteem it more than my necessary food. It's pretty important, right? The Word of God. Look at this verse in Psalm 119 and verse 89. We're talking about how it came from God. Where did the Bible come from? In Psalm 119 and verse 89, the psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. The Word of God did not begin. Even when God began to communicate truth to Moses, or God began to communicate truth through the Apostle Paul, when did the Word of God begin? It's eternal. You can say this with confidence. The Word of God is eternal. What does that mean? It means from eternity past to eternity future, God's Word has always been and always will be. It didn't originate on earth. It originated in heaven. It didn't originate with man. It came from God. This is God's Word. Isn't it wonderful to know we have such a revelation from God in our hands? Psalm 119. Look a little further over, if you would, in verse 152. Some of you may not know this, but this is this. Psalm 119 is... Um, One of the most fascinating books of the Bible. And if you're thinking about memorizing a chapter of the Bible, this would be a good one. (laughs) It's only got 176 verses. Um, It's a great book. And almost every single verse refers in one way or another to the Word of God, to the Bible. It's a great, great uh, psalm, Psalm 119. But look at verse 152. It says, concerning thy testimonies. Talking about the truth, the Word of God. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them... How long? Forever. Forever. Look in verse 160 of that same psalm. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The word of God is eternal. Go to first Peter again and let's look there. First Peter Chapter one and verse twenty three, talking about the Word of God being eternal. First Peter chapter one and verse twenty three. Being born again, not of corruptible seed. It's talking about the new birth. Being born again, being saved, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth, how long? Forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. Forever. The word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The word of, that's, a, that's a, uh, Isaiah 40, one of the verses for our, for our theme. The word of our God shall stand forever. Isn't that a great promise? Forever is a long time, isn't it? I said a moment ago, there's some false views about inspiration. And I think we've already addressed them indirectly. For instance, one would be what some people would call partial inspiration. Part of it's inspired, part of it's not. But if, it's, if that's true, who gets to decide what parts are inspired and what are not? I'd say the parts are inspired that I want to obey. The parts are not inspired that I don't obey. <laughs> but the truth is, it's all given by inspiration of God. Partial inspiration is not taught in the Bible. I already referred to this, but conceptual inspiration. In other words, the concepts are inspired, but not the words. But that's not taught in the Bible. The Bible teaches that the words of God were, are inspired. Another one is quite controversial, really, and that's, for some in some circles, that's double inspiration. We'll talk about that when we talk about translations. But some people believe that the King James Bible is inspired in in the same way that the original manuscripts were inspired. And that you can actually correct the original languages of Hebrew and Greek by the King James. And I, that's a false doctrine. Um, we'll talk about that when we talk about translations. But I believe the Bible teaches about inspiration what we've covered thus far tonight. It came, it came from God. God's word is eternal. And God moved upon men. Men were... Moved upon, carried by the Spirit of God. God gave them the very words He wanted them to write. It's not about, you know, everyone, every man that God used to give us His word was a flawed human being. Right? But, it's, but our confidence is not in if they were having a good day that day. Our confidence is in what God said He would do. And God cannot lie. Amen? Amen? Let's look at a few claims from the Bible about inspiration. Go to the Old Testament, first of all, and then we'll go to the New Testament. But go to the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, chapter four. Moses is writing, and one of the things we can see in his writing here is he understood that the things he was writing were really the words of God. Deuteronomy 4 and 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them. Deuteronomy 4 1, That you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. What I'm, Moses, what I'm giving you are the words of God. These are God's. Words. Uh, Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was, you could say, I guess, struggling with, trying to grasp the reality of his calling and how God could use him. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, This is what God was saying to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I'm a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I'm a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. God says to him, Don't worry about it. You're going to say what I tell you to say. (laughs) Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. Thank God for that verse. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> Be not afraid of their faces. For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put, it, put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. That's what he said. God says, I'm going to put my words in thy mouth. In your mouth. Now, I, I realize tonight that some people could struggle with that. They say, How would God do that? Do you really believe God did that? With every fiber of my being, I believe that. And if you don't believe that God could do that, I, I'm not saying this to be mean or critical, I'm just saying you don't have a very uh, realistic biblical concept of God. Because God can do that. God did do that. And Jeremiah understood that. Jeremiah knew he wasn't just going out there speaking his own words. He knew he was saying the very words that God wanted him to say. Also in Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah 36. You know, if you were taking a Bible course on bibliology, what we're Doing tonight. You could spend hours doing this. We're getting the abbreviated version. Jeremiah 36. And it came to pass, verse 1, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them. We talked about that word evil in Sunday school this morning. It doesn't always mean sin. Sometimes it just means trouble, difficulty. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him. By faith, we know that's how it happened. God gave the very words to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah gave them to Baruch, and Baruch wrote them down. The very words of God. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. A couple of verses, just a couple in the New Testament, where again we see that writers, writers knew that what they were communicating were the words of God. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. This is the near the end of this great series of um, instruction to the Corinthian church, 12, 13, and 14, about spiritual gifts, things of that nature, how God speaks. But there in uh, verse, kind of lost my place. In verse uh, 37, I'm sorry. If any man think himself, Paul writes, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, if a man thinks he's spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you. Are the commandments of the Lord. Now you tell me, did Paul know that what he was writing down and giving to these people, did he know that it was words coming from God? And the answer to that question is yes. He knew that. He wasn't surprised by it. Go a little bit further to the right to 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Again, a, a comment about the words of God. Paul was commending the church there in Thessalonica. In verse 13 he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you, talking about the church there in Thessalonica, when you received the word of God which you heard of us, You received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, one of the reasons why some people don't get much out of preaching is because they're listening to it like it's the word of man. If it's just my opinion, if what we're preaching is just my opinion, just another man's opinion, it won't hurt you at all to disregard it. But we're not just preaching our opinions. We're preaching God's Word. And when, when a person starts recognizing that this is the Word of God, it'll have an impact on their life. Amen. That God be true and every man a liar, right? So these writers, Old Testament writers, New Testament writers, they were writing God's commands, and they were aware that they were under this, the influence, the direct and divine influence of God to write these words. And we're not going to turn to this, but in the Gospels, Jesus often quoted from the passage of the Old Testament and endorsed them as the writings of God. Last thing I want to talk about briefly is the evidences of inspiration. And this is just sort of a common sense reasoning, basically. It's another witness. What makes you think inspiration? Well, number one, I believe inspiration is the way we got it because God said it. But, but if you want something else just to, just to bolster your faith, think about all the fulfilled prophecies of the Bible. How was it that Isaiah knew 700 years before Jesus was born that he would be born of a virgin? What a lucky guess. <laughs> That's an, and not only that, but Micah knew that he would be born in a little obscure village bethlehem wow how do you what do you how do you what do you what do you credit that with you credit with the fact that when these people were writing these things down they were writing under the inspiration of god how did they know long before cyrus the king of persia was born how did they know that a king by the name of cyrus would issue a command for God's people to leave the Persian Empire, go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls after the Babylonian captivity, how did they know that man's name? Very simple. The writers were writing as God gave them the words to write. Go with me, if you would, please, to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. This psalm is, we would sometimes refer to this as a messianic psalm. A lot in this psalm refers to the coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, the first words of the psalm are words that were spoken by Jesus from the cross My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We're not going to look at this whole psalm, but there's a couple of things I want to just point out to you. For instance, in verse 18, when it says, they part my garments among them, and cast lots upon my vesture. I wonder how he knew that. I wonder how he knew that, because when the psalmist wrote, the, I'm tell, inspiration and inspiration, they were writing things they didn't even know understand. They didn't have to understand it. They wrote the words that God gave them. But another great verse to think about is verse sixteen. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Talking about, this is a thousand years, a thousand years before Jesus was born. And David wrote that his hands and his feet would be pierced. You say, well, crucifixion was a well known form of execution, not in David's day. In David's day, stoning was the preferred method of of capital punishment. It was only under the Romans that they began began to crucify people. How did this man know a thousand years before Jesus was ever born that they would pierce his hands and his feet? Because when David wrote down the words, the words came from God, fulfilled prophecies. Jesus, in Matthew 24, when Jesus was talking about uh, the, time, the times of the Lord coming back, the return of Christ, and He talked about the destruction that would come to Jerusalem. Not one stone would be left upon another. Jesus said that. I'm sure they wondered, what in the world is He talking about? Well, about 35 years or so later, 70 A.D., they found out what He was talking about when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Fulfilled Pro- Fulfilled prophecy. Ought to be enough to convince most people that these words are not just the words of men, but the words of God. But another evidence is scientific accuracy. We won't take the time tonight to go through a lot of this. But let's go to let's look at a couple of passages. Go to Ecclesiastes for a moment. If you're my Bible's in Psalms, I'm not sure where you are in this. We've been all over the place, as I said a couple of times. But Ecclesiastes. I want to look at a verse. There's a verse in here about what is commonly called now the hydrological cycle. If you go to the source of all reliable trustworthy information, Google, (laughs) they will tell you that a man by the name of Bernard Polisi, he's often credited with discovering the hydrological cycle in the 1500's. the hydrological cycle has to do with water. It has to do with water that comes down in the form of rain, it goes into the rivers, it goes into the sea, it goes up by a form of evaporation, it comes back down as rain, and it's just a continuous cycle. In the 1500s, they nailed it down. But notice what it says in Ecclesiastes 1:7: "All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full." all the rivers run to the sea, why didn't the sea fill up? Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. The water just goes through the rivers, they go to the sea, it evaporates, goes back up, comes back down as rain, goes into the rivers, goes to the sea. I'm just talking about just scientific accuracy. When the Bible speaks about something we would consider scientific, it's right. It's not just about spiritual matters, it's everything that it says. Go with me, if you would please, to the book of Isaiah. One or two more of these, and there are lots of these. In Job, it talks about paths in the sea. I'm not going to turn to it. Now, in navigation, they know just like how to find the paths of the sea to speed up their their course? How, do, how did Job know there were paths in the sea? Because when he writes about things, even if they're scientific, he writes the truth. Because they're the words of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says in verse 21 Have you not known? Have you not heard? Had it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are grasshoppers. I mean, how did Isaiah know about the spherical shape of the earth? Because when he writes about what God gives him, it's going to be accurate, even if it's scientific. I'm not going to turn to it, but Job clearly said in Job 26 that the earth is suspended in space. How did Job know that the earth is suspended in space? Because when you these men wrote the words that God had given them, these things are recorded, it's always going to be accurate. Fulfilled prophecies are evidence of inspiration, scientific accuracy is evidence of creation, historic accuracy. Dozens and dozens of people, kings, and places, and people groups that are written about in the Bible, in the ancient writings of the Bible, have been confirmed by archaeology. It's an amazing thing. Another evidence, I would say, of inspiration is the unity of the Scripture. 66 books, 40 different authors... Over the course of 1,500 years. How could that be? How could it be that all these writers from different backgrounds over centuries who didn't know each other and the things that they write so obviously blend and agree with one another? It's because they all came from the same God. Evidences of inspiration. I'll make this the last one. And that is the Bible's inherent ability. Testifies to the fact that it's not a human book, it's God's book. The ability to speak to the heart of a person. The more, it's like any other book. My wife had a conversation coming to church tonight. We're, I'm not really a movie person. You know what I'm saying? I don't really. Sometimes we'll watch a movie, a DVD. or I'm not really into movies, but very rarely would I ever watch a movie twice. Maybe the Alamo. (laughs) Something really spiritually edifying, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Rarely would I ever read a book twice. I've read some books twice, but not many. And I'll tell you this book right here. I've read through this book many, many times. It's a, it's a miraculous book. The more you read it, the more you get out of it. The more you read it, the more you learn. The more you read it, the more you love it. It's a miraculous book. It's unlike any other book. I was a reader long before I got saved. When I was an elementary school student, I loved to read. I love to read biographies, sports biographies. I would love to read biographies of Western people. I love the West, the Wild West. I love to read. When I was a teenager, junior high, high school, I read the newspaper every day. I loved news. I loved to read. But I'll tell you, I've never read anything like this. Every day of my life, I spend time in this book. It's unlike any other book. The more you read it, the more it reveals And it's another thing about it. We're talking about the inherent ability of the Bible. Not only is that true, and it is true, but at the same time, to unregenerate minds, to lost people, much of this is a closed book. They read it and don't understand it. The natural man does not comprehend the things of the Spirit of God because they're revealed. Isn't that an amazing thing? They say, "Why would you read that? you know why would you re- why would you read it again because because it's it is indeed a spiritual book. it's God's book. It's God's word. and whatever God speaks about in his word, it's going to be true. You can take it to the bank, right? It's accurate. And by the way, that explains why. There's such an attack on this book. Because it's not just the writings of men, it's the Word of God. Satan hates it. He hates the Word of God. And if he can't keep us from the Word of God, he will, he will give us a substitute that would dilute the Word of God or twist the Word of God. Because this book is amazing. Now please hear me tonight, I'm going to close. This book, because it's God's truth, when you receive it, God's truth, into your life, it'll change your life. And we read in the epistle of Peter about how it is like a seed that is planted. And it is like a seed that's planted, right? And it brings forth fruit. And you could hear the gospel You, you could hear, if I could use the word story, the story, the record of what Christ has done for us. You could hear that. That Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Someone just talked to me in our church in the re- last like few days. I don't remember who it was right now, but a false witness came by their house and was saying all many of the same things that we say that Jesus is their Savior and Jesus, you know, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But when, you, when push comes to shove, they don't really believe that Jesus is God. Jesus is, was not just a good man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Matter of fact, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's who Jesus was. The Word incarnate. Jesus was God who came to this earth to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins. Sin requires a sacrifice. People cannot be forgiven of their sins because they have good intentions or because they reform their life or because they're kind or generous. None of those things can wash away our sin. None of those things can cleanse us from sin. None of those things can pay for our sin and before a holy God. Every last human being is guilty before God because of their sin. But God became a man. Himself, He became a man. He came to this earth. And He went to the cross as a perfect God in the form of human flesh. And they, as we read from Psalm, they pierced His hands and His feet and they crucified Him and He died as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And He was buried and He raised again on the third day. And offers forgiveness of sin and eternal life to every person who will trust Him as Savior. Isn't that wonderful? It's the truth. But knowing that won't make you a Christian. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have to receive Him. It's not about joining a church. It's not about being baptized. It's about receiving God's forgiveness through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. And when you do that, it changes your life. When you receive it by faith, it changes your life. It changes your life from the inside out. Amen? Amen? It's a miracle. And it's because that incorruptible seed of the Word of God that you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, if you're here tonight as a young person or adult and you've never done that tonight, you ought to do that. You ought to come to Christ. You ought to say, that's what I need. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. It's, it's, I watch people, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago, in the last few days, people that we lost contact with for years and years, 20 years, 30 years, and you see them and talk to them, they still love the Lord. They're still thankful to be saved. You know why? Because they got saved. Amen. They got saved. And then you see people that even grew up in church and hear the message over and over and over. They could recite it as soon as they get a chance, they walk away from it never to come back again. You know why? Because they never really got saved. Salvation changes a person, amen? If you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ tonight, amen? You ought to trust Him as your Savior. And if you're a Christian, if you're truly a Christian, I hope that you'll fall in love with this book over and over and over again because it's God's message. Amen.